0: That was the opening scene of a film called Captain Fantastic. If you're anything like me, you've got your notes for the actual talk, and then at the back, the films you want to watch. So yeah, there, that was Captain Fantastic. And um, for me, that's just a real symbol of the adolescent becoming a man, a really powerful scene The father has clearly trained his son in this act of bravery and courage and perseverance to kill the deer and then he praises his son. He bestows upon him that great accolade, you are now a man. And that's one of the main themes of this talk. What does it mean to be a man? Do I have what it takes to be a man? God said of Jesus, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Complete validation from God the Father. But how many of us believe that we are loved and that we please the Father? Or do we hear the voice of the enemy undermining that, kind of belittling God's authority, saying you you don't have what it takes, you're not good enough. I also find this clip a bit of a juxtaposition, it also for me represents what it means to be a man in the world's eyes, and and I think sometimes that can be really unhelpful. Kind of the idea of kind of having to kill a, an animal would, is, is kind of what makes you a man. And I remember as a teenager reading the kind of the lads mags, and there'd be the articles, you know, sort of 30 things to do to become a man. And I would, I guess, I would take those quite seriously. And and some of those things were great. It would be, you know, go wild camping, climb a mountain take a risk and you know i think those things have been really positive things and i'm sure most of us are kind of pleased we've done those kind of things but actually i you know i did a kind of google search of of the latest ones and actually there's things like get outrageously drunk win a fight have a threesome And, and those aren't helpful things and that you know that's not what it means to be a man and I th- believe that actually sometimes we've in our culture we've created this kind of macho guy who eats raw steak, farts loudly, downs beer, and it's not very helpful. And, and actually that it goes on to this striving for wealth and business, business success. A man should have lots of sex, a man should own lots of good stuff, have a fast car, have an athletic body with a six pack. And we kind of believe that if we keep striving, if we get these things, one day we'll be content. Uh, And yet we never are. And I believe that if we are looking for our validation in the world, in those things, that we're building an identity that is separate from Jesus. Now, God doesn't love us because we've got big muscles or a big bank account. He loves the real you. Um, and my talk, as the um, as the line says, is going to just um, look at the false self. What is the man that we kind of have put up on a pedestal that we want people to see? And for the language of this talk, that's the poser. Who are we pretending to be to to the world? And I'm kind of going to just caveat. This is a is a bit of a depressing talk, it's the, <laughs> the, over, the, over the course of the weekend there is a redemptive story but, but today is about shining a light on the areas of our weaknesses, um, it's, it's kind of whereabouts in our, as men do we hide, do we pose, what are the parts of us that we don't want anybody else to see, that we're terrified of being exposed. And there is, a, there is a good news story, but but it's not going to be um, enveloped largely in this particular talk. Um, so, um, I was just thinking about my poser, and one of the things that I love doing is adventure and going to new places. And, and those have been some of the best things that I've ever done in my life. But they've also, there's been, I guess sometimes, my motives have slightly warped, and I've had this desire to be, the man in the room who's been to the most places or had the most experiences and wanted people to kind of admire me for, you know, I've trekked in the jungle and, and gone to meet, meet tribes that virtually no one else has ever seen. Or, you know, I I did Machu Picchu and, you know, got up to the to the highest peak as one of only a couple of hundred people who did it that day. And, you know, kind of, I don't know, I guess kind of painting this picture, oh, isn't Greg a cool guy, an adventurous guy? You know, he'd totally be up for that kind of interesting journey. And I think often I went on these adventures, sometimes I probably went to places to tick them off, to be the person who'd been to Sydney and to Bangkok and to New York. And, you know, actually I probably went to some places that I could, have, I could have had a much better holiday if I'd have really thought about where do I want to go rather than where is Lonely Planet recommending the cool person to go this year. And, and I think that's a glimpse of my false self, the man that I want people to see, the achievements, the accolades that I want others to see and where perhaps at times I've looked for validation, where I've looked to say, you know, do I have what it takes? Well, yeah, I do have what it takes because I've, I've done lots of adventures. And that's, that's not that's not the real me. That's not the, the, the me that God wants. I'm going to show you a, another a clip um, of, of some poses. Um, it's from the film Good Will Hunting. Um, I'm just going to try and set the scene for those of you who haven't seen it. Will Hunting is a, is a guy who's had a tough upbringing. He's from a, a difficult neighbourhood. He and his mates uh, work, well, most of his mates work construction. He works as a janitor. Uh, and their idea of fun is kind of chasing girls, getting in fights. But he works as a janitor at Harvard University. And it just so happens that he is a genius. He's a mathematical genius. And if he actually had applied himself, he probably would be the star pupil at Harvard. But actually, he's kind of hiding it. And uh, we're not going to go into that in, in this clip. But this clip is him taking his mates to a Harvard bar. And, and you know they're not Harvard crowd. They're kind of rough Bronx-type neighborhood guys. And, and yet, here they are um in Harvard. So yeah, just I guess look at how those guys were showing off just before you um the clip actually Ben Affleck he actually says to his mates, "Watch this." And as he walks, he does this sort of stupid walk and flicks his hair and uh, it was my fault for not sort of saying the exact right bit of the clip, but you know, he's he's showing off. He's pretending to be somebody he's not and he gets shown up by this guy who's who's kind of bragging with his intelligence he's in here with all of his uh, all of his latest knowledge and then he gets shown up he gets exposed he's plagiarizing he's pretending has he got any ideas of his own and actually it, it, as the course of the film will hunting gets exposed as well and 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 I think I guess I I want us to Pause for a second. I'm going to talk a little bit, and then I'm going to pause. What What's your false self? Do you use your intelligence to 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 elevate yourself, or maybe it's spirituality? Maybe it's you know what a great Christian man I am. I I run a successful ministry, or maybe it's fitness and and sporting prowess, or or wealth and, and and business success. Maybe it's the trophy wife and, and the model family, or maybe, I often men, it's humour. I kind of cringe when you hear that joke of kind of, oh, you know, here comes the ball and chain, and it's kind of making light of the fact that perhaps their marriage isn't going as well as they want to, but instead of being honest and serious, you always have to make a joke. And yeah, I guess I just want you to just think for 10, 15 seconds about, you know, what are some of the areas in, in your life that, that you're you're hiding behind? I think the poser is expressed and and has many, many different forms, but I think there's probably three key ways in which we pose. I think one is that we would highlight our strengths, elevate the areas of life that we want people to see. Secondly is hiding our weaknesses, uh, kind of trying to pretend that we don't have um, flaws. Or thirdly, just disengaging completely. Uh, kind of almost resigning ourselves to the fact that we, you know, we don't feel we've got what, what it takes, so we just become passive. I'm just going to elaborate on those three now. Um, so in terms of highlighting my strengths, um, interestingly probably an area um, that, is, that for me is an area that I can do well is public speaking. I do it in my job, or I do it in this kind of context, and obviously, my primary motive is to share some of what you know God has for us and to be honest about you know what you know what should we be as men, but I can easily twist that to be oh didn 't I do a great talk, go seeking the validation of oh how you know how was that talk guys was it you know did it did it impress you and I can my motives can easily be warped, and actually, I noticed. You know, I've been really nervous about this talk. And, I, and some of that's probably legitimate nerves, but some of it's probably, you know, am I going to look good? Am I going to perform to my best and, and, and impress people with my ability to communicate? And um, interestingly, my wife once observed that after I tell a joke, I often look around the room to drink in the jokes. <laughs> and I, you know, really soak in the laughs, make sure, you know, has, has everyone noticed what a funny guy I am? And um, so that you know, that's an area of strength, and a, just an you know, an everyday a- example. And in, in terms of a weakness, I actually find it incredibly difficult to put on my daughter's nappy. And it seems like a really straightforward thing, but I just I just can't get it right. I, I, you know, I do get it right sometimes, but so often I, I, I get skewed. And I just remember this one time where I put on her nappy, and then it was bath time, and we've got quite a small bathroom. And there's four of us in there. You know, my wife and I and both of our kids. And I take her tights off, and there's poo in her tights. There's poo on her legs, and then she's you know there gets, there's poo now all over the bathroom. There's poo on me, and my wife just says, "Why don't you just put her nappy on properly?" And my response, boom, like, well, I would, but Lila kept wriggling. I couldn't do it because she just kept moving about. And then I had Evie, my other daughter, in my ear to be like, Daddy, 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 can we do this? Daddy, Daddy. And then, you know, I've had a busy day at work. I didn't see you helping. You know, where were you when I needed you? And the truth is I'm frustrated. I'm embarrassed. I'm pro- very – I was probably tired. And I feel like a shoddy dad. I feel like a shoddy husband that I can't do – just what seems like a really simple task of that and that. And, and now we're covered in crap. And, uh, you know, but actually it's an insecurity. And and I fight back and I blame others. You know, it wasn't my fault, it was Lila or, or Evie, my, my girl's fault, or I play the breadwinner card. I, pray, I play the my area of strength, or, you know, I'm the one in the family who earns the money. You know, you should have been the one helping me here. and And the truth is, Instead of admitting my weakness, I'm trying to pose, I'm trying to fight back, and I think that's why we as men often get so frustrated when we get lost on a long journey, because we're supposed to know where we're going, you know, we don't need the sat-nav, I know where I'm going, oh, it was the roadworks, oh, you know, I would have known it if if it wasn't for the roadworks, or the DIY project we're so reluctant to use the instructions because there's this expectation that we know how to build something or something goes wrong at work and you know work is our domain and it's kind of what's the word it you know it's exponentially out you know a big problem when something goes wrong at work because we feel that's an area that we should be good at and it's really hard to admit when we make mistakes and and then the third you know we elevate the areas of strength we hide our areas of weakness or we disengage completely we accept passivity and and I think that the first story of man the the Adam story really um, shines a light on this you know the serpent tempts Eve and Adam stands by and does nothing you know he doesn't fight the serpent he doesn't Throw the apple, you know, way, you know, out the way, don't grab Eve and say, Eve, no, this is not what we should do. You know, I'm gonna read from the Bible. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now he was there. It wasn't that he was some innocent, oh I didn't realise, oh you know, yeah, I'll have an apple. You know, he was there and he did nothing. And and then look at what happens next. He realises he's naked. He's exposed. He's ashamed. He, re- he's, he regrets it, so he hides. And then he makes a fig leaf to hide behind. You know, and what are our fig leaves today? It's success in business. It's fitness and, and being, you know, I can run faster than you, or I can climb higher than you. Or it's spirituality, look at how many people I've shared my faith with, or, you know, look at this, this incredible prayer. And I think often we do these things, because it's fueled by the question do I have what it takes and then God confronts Adam and listen to his response the woman you put beside me gave me it You know that is it's your fault God you know if you hadn't put her next to me I wouldn't have done it or it's you know well Eve gave it to me it's her fault it's not mine you know he she was the one that tempted me and It's more passivity, it's more blame, it's avoidance, it's posing, it's checking out and saying, you know, I didn't do what I should have done, so I'm just going to blame other people. And sadly, I think sometimes we can become so adept at posing that actually our false self almost morphs into our personality and we lose who we really are and we become settled there and for some that can be a miserable path where they've disengaged for some it can be an exhausting path where they're desperately trying to kind of keep all the the plates spinning for others it's this kind of striving path to succeed to to meet the validation of of a parent or or of their peers for some it's a reckless path you know it's it's climbing Everest and knowing that you're not going to reach the top but just I'm going to go for it anyway I can't fail Um, and that is exhausting and I don't I don't believe God wants us to stay there, so he disrupts. And nobody likes disruption. you know. But God deems it necessary for the battle for our hearts to re- that we would reveal our true self. And I'm going to show you another clip. It's from the film Schindler's List. And Oskar Schindler um, was a Nazi uh, living in occupied Germany and at the beginning of the war he's he's a businessman and his kind of effort his war effort is a factory making artillery making pots and pans you know contributing to the war through through effectively machinery and he's you know he's just going to use and abuse whoever he can to to be successful and i'm just going to kind of introduce you to him um in this clip you know that is who oscar schindler wants people to see the man who was more successful than his dad, who made a lot of money, who, you know, what do they say about me? They'll look at me and they'll say, "There's Schindler, isn't he impressive? And he's prepared to use war to get his gains. But then there's a disruption. He observes the way the Jews are treated and as they're kind of rounded up from um, the the homes that they're, basically, they've all been kind of told to pack into one grim slum area and then they take them all out of the slum area and into the labor camps and he observes the death and the horror and the torture that goes on and it's a big disruption for him and he where he had been whining and dining nazi soldiers for his own gain he begins to whine and dine nazi soldiers for the gain of the jewish people and he treats His workers incredibly well, and he takes huge personal risk. He takes massive financial stresses in order to treat his workers and and the Jewish people well. And over the course of the war, uh, uh, um, yeah, he he becomes a changed man. I'm going to show you basically kind of right at the end of the film, the war ending, his speech to the people he's effectively saved, and then you know, how he responds um, to them. So yeah, let, let's watch the clip. <laughs> I found that a very, very moving um, scene. And he, look at how he's changed. He's now self-evasive. His, you know, his speech is, you know, don't thank me, thank your, your peers. He even empowers the soldiers, the Nazi soldiers. He says, leave as men. And then you see that scene. And in many ways, it's undignified um sorry I've lost my place. Um I can remember it. Uh in some ways it's undignified, but he's earned his dignity, he's earned his love through his acts of bravery, through his acts of friendship, and I just find it an incredibly compelling scene of somebody who isn't posing, of somebody who is really truly being themselves and actually it reminded me of Dos. that kind of just one more person, he has a mission, he has a purpose that God's given him and it's incredibly moving and I'm going to now talk about a disruption that's happened in my life Um, so I wasn't at the last um, event a, a year ago because my wife was uh, was about to give birth um, to our daughter Lila, and I'd just started an, a new job. My um, the company that I previously worked for had effectively kind of headhunted me and asked me to come and work for them again uh, as a new business salesman. So here I was, I guess in my. You know, early 30s with a, a wife, kids, a mortgage, a, a, a really good job opportunity where I felt I could earn, a, earn money through through my commission scheme, and uh, and look towards buying a bigger house in the countryside. That was a, a real desire of our family, and it just didn't happen. I could not close a deal for love nor money, um, and. My manager was saying, look Greg, you're doing a good job, we're really pleased with with how you're performing, but actually my sales figures were were really quite poor. Uh, And that's continued throughout the whole year. There's been a a couple of of positives, but but generally it's been a stressful and a difficult time of um, yeah, of, of scrutiny on my performance at work. And as I say, my company in some ways have been supportive. I think they recognise that I'm working hard and that I've got the, the skills to be a good salesman, but actually the key performance indicator is, is closed sales. And I haven't done very well in, in that particular area. And it's um, yeah, it, it's been stressful. I've felt that I've had no job security. I haven't had the, the extra Financials that I was uh, kind of hoping for to, to kind of uh, realise the dream that, that I had for myself. And my my wife doesn't earn anything. She's a you know a mother of our children. So it's you know the, the weight has has felt like it's been on my shoulders. And uh, alongside it, this year, God's really challenged us on our spending. Um, He's asked us to to give away a little bit more. We've um, at times felt like just kind of doing random acts of kindness, giving away money. But also, he's really challenged how we spend our money. So um, buying Products from places where we really know where the product has come from, the kind of ethical, uh, yeah, it's just that, you know how the the people who've produced that um, ha- have done that. You know, be it nappies and toiletries, be it electrical goods, uh, and inevitably that costs a lot more money. Same with food. We we felt that we shouldn't shop at supermarkets; that we should instead use organic um, produce. So. So whilst we haven't quite had the money that we thought we we would have, our spending has gone up exponentially because because we felt we should we should be uh, spending our money wisely in that sense, and, and as I say, this has this has gone on for for almost a year, and and I have felt this pressure. And, and God has really been with me and close to me throughout this time. And he's regularly spoken to me. He's regularly provided Bible verses. And I'd like to read one um, that's been a real anchor for me during this year. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. And I found myself sort of sat on the loo after losing another deal, reading that prayer, trying to believe it and and kind of own it um, for myself. And and as I say, God has been with me and I've really treasured that. And it has, as I say, it has felt regular that God's said to me, I've got your back. But actually nothing much has changed. My, My situation, my scenario remains that way. And it's still a difficult season of disruption and it has been hard to take, it has been unsettling, and I've definitely um, felt exposed. Um, But a a friend, I've had a a couple of guys who I've shared with this through the year, and and a, a friend of mine said to me, I think you're using the wrong metric, Greg he said if you're measuring the last 12 months on have you been successful in closing business and and you know improving the profits of your company then no no it hasn't been as good as you would have hoped for but if you measure this year in character development and becoming more like jesus has it been a good year and he was right it has been a year of growth for me, a real positive change. And the truth is, I wanted the job security. I wanted to be the successful salesman in my business. I wanted the financial comforts and the, the nice house in the countryside. But God wants my heart, He wants my trust, He wants the real me. And the same friend asked me, "What is it you're stressed about?" And yeah it was a little bit of money, but actually you know we've just about got the finances we need and, and if i'm if I believe that God's got my back on money which I, which most of the time I do, uh, you know what is it I'm stressed about and it, and actually it's about do I have what it takes and feeling that in that area of life which is quite a prominent area of my life, feeling that I don't. Also, others thinking that I don't you know what does my manager, my colleagues, my employers, do they think I haven't got what it takes? you know my clients you know they're choosing someone else ahead of ahead of our offering how do how does that you know how do they think of me, my family, what does my wife think that i can't you know I, we can't I can't provide in the way that I kind of hoped I would what do my friends think you know i'm a, in my early thirties, it feels like lots of my mates are really doing well and climbing the ladder and here I am sort of stumbling around. And I think that core question of have I got what it takes has been disrupted through this. Um, through this, um, I'm gonna, it feels like a long list and I, I really hope that this isn't a kind of self-indulged thing, but I wanna talk about what I think this last 12 months has taught me. What has this disruption done for me? And I hope that some of this can resonate and, and, and help you guys. So one of the things that it's taught me is to trust in God. And I don't mean that just as a word, I mean really trusting God. You know, If I say, your will be done, that's saying that might mean that I'm um, made redundant and don't have a job. And you know, we'd probably last a month without my salary and then we would have to rely on some other means of finance. But do I really believe that God provides, or do really I think that I provide and it's down to me to provide? And, and I've been challenged on that. The disruptions taught me about being myself. At times I've looked to other people in my uh, colleagues and they seem like better salesmen than me, so I've tried to imitate what they're doing. Oh, I could do it like that. And God said, no, Greg, I want you to be yourself. It's your personality that people are going to engage with. You know, and again, that feels at times, you know, if people aren't choosing you, it, is, it feels like a real personal rejection. But I think God wants me to be myself. Comparing myself to other people, this has been a big one. I think my sister is is, is a, someone who is climbing the the, uh, the corporate ladder, and she just innately has this kind of this work ethic and this drive. And and actually, it's, it's probably to her real detriment. But I sometimes find myself that kind of sibling rivalry of I, I wish I was more like that. I wish I had that that drive. And and, and on comparing. Um, my wife and I lead a small group, and what we do is we, we read a small passage of the Bible, and it's often with people who are, who are new to faith or perhaps don't even have a faith. So we read something, we do a tiny bit of you know, discussion around it, and then we look to apply it over the two weeks before we meet again and say, okay, if that's what God says, or you know, let's put that to the test and let's see if, if that really works. And, and a several months ago, the passage that we were applying was, pay careful attention to your own work, then you will get a satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So we set ourselves as a group this challenge of being really mindful of when we compared ourselves to someone else and really trying to take action to, to stop that, to stop that train of thought and just trust that you know God loves us for who we are, and I was shocked at how often I compared myself to other people, and it was almost always negatively and it was and it was about kind of nonsensical stuff, it was about oh he 's a better salesman than me. Nonsensical is the wrong word. It it was about important stuff, but it wasn't like he's kinder than me or he's more humble than me. It was very much kind of the visual things. It was, oh, I wish I was a better salesman or I wish I was a better dad or I wish I was a better husband. It was very kind of I'm not good enough um, language. And I remember one weekend in particular, as I said, my wife and I wanted to... Uh, you know, we've got a nice home, but it, it, it's small and it's in the middle of the city, and really we kind of strive, for, for, uh, long for the countryside. Strive, that's a bit of a Freudian slip. <laughs> uh, long for the countryside. And we, a, a couple of friends were staying with us, and they, he was uh, doing a job that he loved and seemingly making lots of money. They had just bought a barn conversion in the countryside, the very dream that we had. <laughs> and they were younger than us, which somehow made it worse. Um, <laughs> That weekend, our car was in the garage, and we were going to have to spend several hundred pounds that we didn't really have to fix it. While they were buying their second car, Uh, and it just felt like a real kick in the teeth. And it was, but it it really brought us to think, to pray through. You know, these things aren't important. This isn't healthy. This comparison. You know, God is prospering us and teaching us things, and and to cling to those those things. And that leads into the next learning. God has taught me to take hold of my thought life to restrict those voices if you haven't got what it takes you know when i when i'm out in a sales and the sales call goes badly or somebody rings me up and says oh no we've we've chosen to go with somebody else it's so easy to 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 you know to instantly go on a negative thought pattern if you haven't got what it takes and god's really taught me to try and take hold captive of And speak truth, and speak, you know, like those, like that Bible verse, you know, "Do not be anxious, pray." Speaking, you know, literally standing in the mirror and saying it. Interestingly, Flyer—that's the name of our small group because we used to meet in a pub called the Bristol Flyer. One of our challenges was to actually speak something that you didn't, that was true, but that you didn't believe of yourself. And so, every day for a fortnight, I would stand in the mirror three times a day and say, "I am a good salesman. I am a good father." And I found it hard to look myself in the eye and, uh, and say that. Another thing that God has taught me is n- to notice the poser. And interestingly, because I've written this talk, I've noticed it a couple of times uh, recently, of kind of the, uh, wanting to be liked. And uh, we went to the beach on holiday, and I was playing in the in the water with my daughter. Uh, that rhymes. And uh, my a uh, g- uh, load of the other guys were was surfing. And then um, Evie, my Evie's grandfather came and said, "Look, I'll play with them um, with Evie. You go and have a surf." And there was an option of two surfboards. One was this kind of sleek. Uh, wooden thing that required you to be an expert surfer, which I'm not. One was this kind of enormous, buoyant foam thing, which would mean that I could actually catch waves, but it wouldn't look very cool. And I just found myself drawn to the cool board. And then I kind of thought, why am I doing this? Like I'm just basically just gonna get frustrated and get very wet and never surf. So I did choose the the, the, the buoyant foam board and I had a brilliant time, but it was just so telling that why did I care that these guys kind of could see me surf on a cool board? But but I did. And, and interestingly, as we drove home from the beach, it was a sort of 25-minute rural drive, and my brother-in-law was ahead of me, and he was really flying around these country roads, and I was driving really quite recklessly to keep up with him. Uh, both my daughters and my wife in the car with me and I suddenly thought to myself why am I driving like this and it was because I felt like he's got a better car than me or you know I, I'm the, I'm as good a driver as he is and he he wouldn't have noticed he you know he didn't comment when I got back a couple of minutes after him like oh you didn't keep up with me but in my head I was thinking you know I need to prove that I'm as a, a good a driver and I noticed the poser uh, and and tried to stop it Um, Another thing that I've had to learn is is contentment, actually having a real attitude of gratitude. And and that was another one of the the challenges we did in our group, was to to, to text our our friends on on WhatsApp and say, you know, I'm I'm thankful for something. I'm thankful for my small house, because many people um, don't have it. And I think, again, that can be to do with the poser. You know, why do I want a better car? My car works. I just want one that looks nicer. God has challenged me on facing the challenges. I think in many ways I am, you know, I'm a, I'm a fighter, I, I do take on the challenge, but definitely at times I've found myself disengaging. I've found myself when sales are going badly, I'll just retreat, you know, often because the only place you can get some privacy at work is into the loo and just read BBC football website for 10 minutes just to switch off, just to, you know, Use it as a, a, I guess, a soothing technique to ignore the reality. And actually, at the moment, my challenge is I'm not going on the BBC football website at all, so I actually don't know the Premier League scores from last weekend for the first time in my life. <laughs> so, uh, well, I'm finding it quite hard, but it, it, it's felt kind of, it's felt liberating. And and again, just in the last couple of weeks, my wife commented, when at times when I've been scared about money, she said, you, "You'll say, you'll say, Greg." What are you going to do if we don't have enough money? And I take myself out of the situation and, and blame it. And not blame it on her, but I use the language of it's going to be your problem, Emily. And obviously I wouldn't actually just lay, leave her with no money. But when I'm scared, I take myself out of the situation. And it was I was really shocked when she kind of made that observation. Um, God in terms of the disruption has asked me I believe to live in the present you know I talked earlier about going on these w- adventures and I remember sometimes I'd be in these incredible national parks and yet in my head I had one eye on where am I going to go next you know where's the next place to go and on this, on this holiday that I've had recently I had, had what I call a daddy date so it was me and Evie, just us, no one else for the whole day and we were, we were at the beach playing in the water and I just found myself thinking about What am I going to do for the rest of the holiday? What other fun stuff am I going to do? Rather than being really present with my daughter. And I felt really convicted to live in the present. And I I know one of the guys from the Ransomed Heart Ministry talks about that the devil wants us to live in the past, be it nostalgically of life used to be better, or regret and shame of I didn't do life as well as I should have done or he wants us to live in the future of striving, of worrying, of life, you know, how am I gonna cope with the future? And yet, God is in eternity and God is in the present and he wants us to really live in the now. Um, I'm almost done. um, And something else that God has challenged me on has been, the language I'm using is a spirit of generosity. I think I've always been reasonably kind of obedient when it comes to a tithe, and you know, I have given money away, you know, with you a gen- genuine kind of joyous heart, but I don't have a real spirit of generosity. And I think if God had challenged me that from a place of wealth, it wouldn't have been that difficult. But to do it from a, in a year where money was tight, I've really noticed it. And I, there's one story that's particularly telling, and I I commute home. I get to the train station, then I cycle home. And there's a florist at the train station, so I would bought this bouquet of flowers for my wife. I was cycling home, and I spotted this um, older lady, and I felt like God say, "I want you to go and talk to her." So I saw. Sort of, you know, put the brakes on. Started to walk towards her with my bike, and I felt like him say, "I'd like you to give her the flowers." So I sort of explained the situation. I said, "Look, I've bought this bunch of flowers for my wife, but I feel like God wants me to give them to you, and just it's a you know it's a symbol of His love for you." And I cycled home, and I was really it was such a great story to tell Emily. And I was like, "You know, it must what an impact that might have had." And <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't actually mean it like that, I, uh, but you know, it was exciting to be part of. Um, you know, part of something and, and to, you know, feel like I, I obeyed God and and the next day I did buy Emily a bunch of flowers, so she still got the flowers. And then um, I'd spent this money out of what we call our treat account. So both Emily and I a lot you know, a little bit of money, not loads, but a little bit of money each month that's for our treats. So, you know, I pay for coming to this or if I want to have a beer or go to the cinema or buy a bit of chocolate. That comes out of our treat account. And at the time I was wanting to buy some um shoes to go climbing in. And um, and you know I bought two bouquets of flowers out of the treaty account. So that wasn't going to happen that month. And then literally, that's really uh, Literally the next day, uh, I felt like God say, "I want you to buy some flowers again." And I was there, I'm oh, flipping heck. you know, how am I going to buy these walking shoes? And I, 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 literally, so I like kind of pushed my bike past the florist out of the train station. And I just really felt God say, "Why are you disobeying me?" And so I went back and begrudgingly bought basically the cheapest bunch of flowers I could. (laughs) And sure enough, kind of gave them away to someone. But my attitude was so different. It wasn't this, wow, you know, I wonder what impact that will have on that lady. It was this kind of flipping, I had to spend 10 quid on a bouquet of flowers which could have bought something for me. And I was really struck by, am I a generous man? And finally, I think God has disrupted me to address my motives for success. You know actually power and wealth in the wrong hands is very dangerous. I think probably Donald Trump is a really glaring of, uh, example of that but you know actually can I be entrusted to earn a lot of money? Can I be entrusted to have responsibility in a kingdom and maybe I or well, I think probably I have needed to have gone through this difficult period in order to to kind of reign a kingdom um, well. Um, I, I always find ending talks really difficult. Uh, you know, Rob Bell kind of leads this crescendo, and I kind of go, okay, that's it, and kind of walk off. And uh, um, I was recently hiking up the Sugarloaf Mountain, which is a, a mountain in Wales, and I was just sort of praying to, to God about, you know, how should I, you know, about this talk. And actually the Sugarloaf Mountain has, in recent years, had a, had a significance for me. A couple of years ago, I went to counselling for, for some time. And, um, and I guess I ended that period of, of counselling um, by climbing the Sugarloaf Mountain and really sort of staking that as a day of freedom. And I remember during this counselling session that my counsellor saying to me, When you let go of this baggage, when you move on from this hurt, you'll meet the real Greg and you might really like him. And I remember retelling that to my wife when I got home and just sobbed, absolutely sobbed. And yet now, a couple of years on, that's becoming true. I do like the real Greg, I like the true Greg a lot. And I don't, I'm embarrassed and ashamed of the old Greg, but I have moved forward from that time. And it just, you know, I hadn't really thought about that in a while. Certainly not that line. And kind of climbing up the Sugarloaf Mountain, I was just reminded of it. And I guess I, I want to share that message to you, that the true you is a is a great guy who you will like and who who has purpose. I just want to pray before I... I actually, finish, and I guess I, I think I'll probably do some of the um, the admin stuff now, um, just before I finish. So we're going to do our vow of silence, and, and again, there's some some questions in the um, in the booklet which can, will kind of prompt things. And you know, I guess I would like you know, I would encourage you to think about where do you pose, where do you, what areas of life are you elevating, which areas of life are you hiding, have you resigned that you don't feel what you've got what it takes, where have you switched off, but, so, but yeah, we're going to do a vow of silence, then we're going to have some lunch, and then it's free time, and um, you've got free time until four o'clock, but it's it's kind of four o'clock kind of in your seat, so um, you know, kind of bear in mind that you, you need to be kind of back here before that. Um, just kind of, as you go out the door and left, there's a load of wellies, so if if people haven't got kind of kind of appropriate footwear and you want to go out walking then there's some wellies to, to help yourself to um, and yeah otherwise we'll see you at four um, but let me pray and then I'm going to finish formally um, God I pray for, for these men I pray that they will be honest with themselves and I pray God that you will reveal the areas of life where people are posing where the false self is more prominent than the true self and as I was thinking about this prayer a couple of days ago, I actually felt there might be, so, might be someone or some people here who perhaps need to have a time of singleness, obviously not married men, but people who who aren't, uh, you know, who are perhaps still in the dating phase. You know, I know some people almost go kind of serial daters, and I wonder whether for some of you it's appropriate to have a time of um of singleness to get to know yourself and act, conversely i felt that maybe someone has been kind of i'm in an about committing to their eve and maybe maybe part of your f- true self is is being brave enough to to um to uh, you know ask her ask her hand in marriage but you know for others um, you know just whatever it may be whether it's business whether it's fitness whether it's spirituality whatever your poser may be i, I pray that you you god will reveal it and that you can can move forward and and i want to find finalize on this an encouragement from the bible you know we do all pose we do all have areas of weakness but i think the bible is clear that you do all have what it takes god made you perfectly Uh, you know you were not a mistake And yes, you will have made bad choices, but you do have what it takes. And and again, in Philippians 4, just a, a part of the Bible I've lent on heavily this year, it says, you can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. You can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Or another version is, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength.